Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on cornerstone connection with pastor gary hamrick i think that solomon intends us and i think obviously god intends us to read this book not looking back on an old man's life who has a lot of regret, but looking forward on our own life, about using and learning from Solomon's experience, and then looking forward in our own life and determining and pursuing what really matters. And that really is the question. What really matters in your life? And how do you find happiness? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is not intended to be a sad story of a man with much regret, but instead to give some insight as to what we may find in our futures if we place value on the wrong things. Pastor Gary challenges us to grow with God as the center of our lives. Though things like money and success are good, they shouldn't be our exclusive core driving factor. When they are, they will ultimately let us down. God, on the other hand, never disappoints. As you move forward, do so with Jesus at your core. Know that your true value lies in Him. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with part 1 of his message on the hunt for happiness and satisfaction. Let's take our Bibles now and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 as we continue our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. We do have a a few Bibles, not many, but a few that are still available. So if you see an usher near you and you need a Bible, you can raise a hand and they will give you what they have. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is found on page 497 in the church Bibles, page 497. So we're continuing Uh, in our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a journal of an old king, King Solomon of Israel, who had experienced it all. He experienced fame, money, power, sex, accomplishments, and everything you can imagine. But he writes this book near the end of his life, looking back on his life, having experienced all those many things, and still feeling very empty. And so he uses a word 38 times in the NIV, and it's uh, meaningless. In other translations, it's the word vanity. And as I mentioned last week, when he talks about how meaningless life is, he doesn't mean that life has no meaning. It's actually the Hebrew word hevel. And hevel literally means vapor, mist, or smoke. 
and it figuratively can be used to uh, connote something transitory, fleeting, or unsatisfactory. So that, that's really the definition behind the word that when, Mo, when Moses, when Solomon uh, talks about how life is meaningless or life is uh, vanity, he means it is fleeting and it's transitory. It's hard to grasp. Life is sometimes very difficult to understand, and it's just as difficult to grasp life as it is to grasp smoke or vapor or mist. So that's what he means heavily. He says, you know, this is, this is confusing at times. Um, life is transitory. It's very fleeting and, and it's hard to understand. So that's what he means by the word meaningless. And he's saying this near the end of his life because, as I mentioned last week, uh, Solomon has made a lot of sinful choices and he gets to, to the end of his life and he realizes that all the many experiences and adventures and achievements and accomplishments are completely empty without God in the equation. Because at this point in his life, God is at the very best on the fringes of his life. I do believe when you look at the way the book ends that Solomon comes around full circle to surrendering his life to the Lord again. But, um, but at least for the time being, he's writing here out of the experience of emptiness. He's saying, I've, I've achieved everything, done everything, bought everything, married everybody I could, and I just still feel completely empty. So that's what he means by meaningless or vanity. And in our introduction to this book last week, we talked about how Solomon noted three true uh, principles from chapter one. And those three truths are, number one, that time is marching on and we can't do anything to stop it, that life is happening and, and it's moving on, it's marching on, we can't do anything to stop it. Number two, nothing is really new. And this is real for us as well, despite all the advancements in education and science and technology. Basic human needs and pursuits have not changed since the beginning of time. And we share that all in common. And number three, that no one will really be remembered. Everybody's 15 minutes of fame is just that. It lasts for about 15 minutes. Now, a warning again, as I mentioned last week, and I want to reiterate again today. Don't read this book as just a depressing journal of an old king who has a lot of regret about his life looking back. I think that Solomon intends us, and I think obviously God intends us to read this book, not looking back on an old man's life who has a lot of regret, but looking forward on our own life, about using and learning from Solomon's experience and then looking forward in our own life and determining and pursuing what really matters. And that really is the question. What really matters in your life? And how do you find happiness? This is something that every human being faces because every human being, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're all on a quest for purpose and meaning and satisfaction. Every person is. And so therein lies the question, what brings lasting purpose, meaning, and happiness? That's the question. What is it in life that brings lasting purpose and meaning and happiness? We can all find temporary purpose and meaning and happiness, but I, I think all of us really want the ultimate fulfillment of purpose, meaning, and happiness. So what is lasting in that regard? Now, Solomon, who had it all and did it all, shares his own story in this book, and he writes to spare us the futile pursuit of things that really will prove to be empty. Now, you and I can learn from Solomon's experience and from what God has to say through, through Solomon here for our lives, or you and I can learn it the hard way. 
Uh, but I guarantee you that if you learn it the hard way by saying, well, I don't really, you know, believe this dude Solomon. I mean, it was 900 B.C., like 3,000 years ago. So I'm, I'm going to go experience all this stuff for myself. You'll end up finding just how empty all those things are on your own. And it'll be a pretty painful experience and a colossal waste of time, effort, and energy. So, you know, uh, Mark Twain once said that everybody can serve as an example, if nothing else, a bad example. And Solomon serves as a good and a bad example for us of a guy who did much and found out through his own life experience just how empty and unfulfilling life was without God in the equation. And we can learn from his life experience and make sure that God is central to our lives or we can experience it the painful way and try to learn for ourselves. Solomon discovered what so many people failed to conclude, that we try to achieve satisfaction and happiness and purpose in our lives. This is what many people do. Try to find purpose and satisfaction and uh, meaning in life by reorganizing the external. What I do, um, what I accomplish, uh, what I have become, uh, who I try to be, and all these other external things, rather than, and here's the key, rather than real purpose, meaning, happiness comes from reorganizing our internal lives much more than reorganizing our external lives. And Solomon came to realize this near the end of his life, and he rightly concludes that fulfillment and purpose and meaning and happiness must come from outside a source uh, outside of ourselves, namely the Lord. Uh, so here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to look at really m- most of this chapter, but I want to look at the end of the chapter, and then we'll work our way backwards a little bit. So verses 24 to 26. So if you look at how this chapter concludes here in chapter 2, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 to 26, this is what it says. Verse 24, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, without the Lord, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So if you'll start up at the top of chapter 2 with me, in chapter 2, Solomon writes about, basically, if I could summarize what his intent is behind chapter 2, he's on the hunt. Solomon is on the hunt to find satisfaction and happiness, and what he writes about in chapter 2 are three different kinds of hunts that he embarked on, and so I've categorized it this way, the pleasure hunt, the measure hunt, and the treasure hunt. Okay, just try to make a little of alliteration for it so you can remember this. But this is really what he's about here, trying to find happiness and satisfaction. So the first one we're going to look at here, we're going to highlight the pleasure hunt. And if you'll notice in verse 1, what he writes here in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. So circle the word pleasure in your Bibles. He talks about pursuing pleasure, but he says there, I will test you with pleasure. Now, who or what is the you that he's testing? He's not testing God. He's testing the the you in this verse is life. He's testing life. He's testing the meaning and purpose of life. He's saying, I want to see if I can find satisfaction, meaning, and purpose in life through pleasure. 
And Solomon goes on this pleasure hunt, and just by way of definition, what we're talking about is the attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in physical or sensual gratification. The attempt to find satisfaction or happiness in physical or sensual gratification. So the first thing that he tells us in the course of his pleasure hunt, the first thing that he pursues in verse 2, look at verse 2, he says, laughter, I said, is foolish and what does pleasure accomplish? So the first thing that he tries here is laughter. Solomon figures, I guess if I can just, you know, laugh a lot, then I can make my unhappy life happy. And so Solomon turns the palace into Comedy Central, and he, and he brings in Jim Gaffigan, little Tim Hawkins, little Will Ferrell, Tina Fey. Chris Rock didn't make the list. He's too vulgar. And so he just has all these comedians coming into the palace, and he just says, you know, make me laugh. I want to see maybe laughter is going to be the key to finding happiness. If I just laugh my way through life, I just laugh and laugh and laugh, then I can turn my unhappy, empty life into something fun and pleasurable. Now, question for all of us, is laughter a bad thing? No, laughter's not a bad thing. I hope not. I hope laughter's not a bad thing, or I've been doing a lot of bad things in my life, because I like to laugh. I mean, I just find humor in everything, probably in things I shouldn't. I get into trouble sometimes, because I find laughter in things I really shouldn't be laughing about. But I I just like to laugh. It's a gift from God. God has made us laugh about things. I mean, look at the person next to you. God has a sense of humor. Just look. See, right there, that's cruel. I probably shouldn't be laughing like that. But laughter is just, it's a fun thing. I just like to laugh. You know, the world is too serious. And and so I think it's good for us to laugh every once in a while. Last night, uh, I finished up with my notes for the teaching, and it's about like 8.30. And Terry and I typically don't eat late. I mean, we're not, you know, we'll we'll eat at like 5 or 6. We're not like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock dinner people. But we hadn't had dinner, and I finished up my notes, and so we said, what do, what do we want to do? Now, Terry just been relaxing around the house, and so she, she was in her bathrobe, and I just have on sweats, and she's like, let's just, let's go through the drive-thru at Panera. And I said, well, you better put something on. She said, I'm just going to go in my bathrobe. She said, we're just going to go through the drive-thru. I said, honey, what if, what if, like, the car breaks down on the way, and, you know, and you're out in your bathrobe in the middle of, you know, Market Street. This isn't going to be a... F- I'm just going to go. And we're just laughing. Like, okay, just get in the car. So we get in the car. And at the drive-thru, so we're at the drive-thru now at, at Panera. And you know how they typically sound like Charlie Brown's teacher at the drive-thru? It's like, wah, wah, wah. You know, what do you want? Wah, wah, wah. And so, so I'm, I'm giving the order. I gave Terry's order. And then on, on the menu, it was turkey bacon sandwich. And, and, I, and I just muddled the words, and I said, I want a turkey bakey uh, instead of bacon. I said, I want a turkey bakey sandwich. So Terry starts cracking up, and I just start cracking. It's just silliness. It's just silliness. Turkey bakey. And I'm just laughing, and I can't control myself, and I can't get the rest of my order out. And the lady at, at, the, you know, at, the, at the microphone was so nice, and she's like waiting so patiently. And I just, I can't even get the rest of my order out. I'm just laughing. So Terry's that, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and plus, we're going to pull around to the window where I'm going to pay. And they're going to see Terry in her bathrobe. And, and the whole night just, and we were just chuckling and just laughing there. And I get into the drive, you know, to pay. And I just saw the lady and she just kind of, her little eyebrow, what camera, what camera? Just her little eyebrows went, eh? 
you know, just because because she looked at me laughing, and she looked at Terry in her bathrobe, and it was just one of those moments. I just like to laugh over silly, ridiculous things. Sometimes, you know, in the pulpit, I have to be a little careful to rein it in somewhat. I'm, I'm always encouraged by the words of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 19th century, he was once chastised for using too much humor in the pulpit. And he said, if you, if you only knew how much I was holding back, you would commend me. <laughs> so... I'm, I'm encouraged by Charles Spurgeon in that regard. But in Proverbs 17.22, there's actually a Bible verse that talks about Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. So there's nothing wrong with laughter. In fact, a cheerful heart is good medicine is borne out by medical evidence. Laughing causes an injection of happy hormones. It releases endorphins and reduces the stress hormones of cortisol and epinephrine. A University of Maryland study found that laughter dilates the inner lining of our blood vessels, the endothelium, and so improves circulation by 22% when you laugh. Your immune system is boosted by up to 40%. And at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, on their website, they actually talk about how they use laughter therapy to help treat patients. So laughter is an important aspect to our lives. God gave the gift of laughter. We should enjoy laughter. It's not a bad thing. What Solomon is saying here, however, is that he thought laughter would cure everything. He basically thought, if I just laughed, I can make my unhappy life happy. And that's what he meant there in verse 2 when he says laughter is foolish because everything in life is not a laughing matter. And laughter can sometimes mask the pain, can't it? It's interesting when you study some of the most well-known comedians in our country, many of them, many of them have spoken publicly about their own personal battle with depression. Uh, Of course, Robin Williams is the latest very sad casualty in that regard. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres has spoken about depression. I saw an interview with Jim Carrey on 60 Minutes uh, years ago and how Jim Carrey talked about how he decided he had to get off Prozac and just because he didn't want to be on on the medication anymore. And so he was asked, how are you doing without it? And he said, quote, my life simply, I'm living in, quote, a low level of despair, end quote. So take it from some funny people, laughter is not a cure to an unhappy life. So when Solomon says, you know, I just I tried to cheer myself up with laughter, I, I tried to laugh my way to happiness or satisfaction, he realized, no, that doesn't work. Then Solomon says in verse 3, notice in verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. And so notice he says, I tried cheering myself with wine. So another thing that he tried was alcohol. Uh, Isn't it interesting how when people make a toast, they say cheers, because there's this connection between the idea of alcohol cheering us up, bringing some amount of of pleasure or enjoyment. And, you know, look, I'm not going to use this verse as, you know, a commentary on the merits or demerits of alcohol. I've, I've spoken on the subject before, but that's not really the context here. He's not talking about the merits or demerits of alcohol itself. Solomon is simply talking about how he thought 
that wine could cheer him up and lift him out of depressing emptiness. And so he gave it a try. He throws some lavish parties at the palace. Uh, he's, he's got uh, uh, Jimmy Buffett playing in the background. You know, he's singing Wasted Away in Margaritaville. And, uh, you know, the wine is flowing. And, and Solomon thinks, well, maybe I can be happier if I just drown out my sorrows or at least take the edge off my problems by drinking. But, you know, he gets to the place here where he just finally realizes he's, he's, he's like tired of waking up in Mexico in the back of a chariot with a new tattoo. So he's like, you know, I, I realize this is not the answer either. Because, you know, a lot of people have learned, again, the hard way that, that if you try to drown your sorrows with alcohol or try to take the edge off your problems, as soon as you get sober, your, your sorrows and your problems are still there. You know, alcohol doesn't fix anything. So if you're, if you're using alcohol as some kind of a medicinal treatment of your sorrow or your emptiness or your unfulfillment, all of that will still be there when you're sober. Alcohol's not an answer to that. And he says, I tried. I tried cheering myself up with wine. And, and, and he said, it just, it proved to be empty also. There are countless people in our culture who think that happiness comes out of a bottle or at least numbs me enough that I don't have to deal with the unhappiness of my life. And I think that's captured in the song by Billy Joel, Piano Man. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics to you. Um, the song's been around for a long time, but this is what Billy Joel was writing about in that song, Piano Man, when he, when he wrote this. It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday. The regular crowd shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me making love to his tonic and gin. He says, son, can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes, but it's sad and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. Sing us a song. You're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody, and you've got us feeling all right. Now, John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets me my drinks for free, and he's quick with a joke or to light up your smoke, but there's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, I believe this is killing me as the smile ran away from his face. Well, I'm sure that I could be a movie star if I could get out of this place. Now, Paul is a real estate novelist who never had time for a wife, and he's talking with Davy, who's still in the Navy and probably will be for life. And the waitress is practicing politics as the businessmen slowly get stoned. Yes, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday. And the manager gives me a smile because he knows that it's me they've been coming to see to forget about life for a while. That's the story of a lot of people. And they think that alcohol will help them forget or numb or dull their pain. But the reality is, without God in the equation, all those things are still there even when you're sober. So he moves on from talking about laughter and alcohol. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he just uses this broad statement. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. <laughs> Look, he's the richest man, most powerful man on the planet. And he says at the time, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Well, the principal thing that Solomon did not deny himself or refuse himself was women. And, of course, we mentioned last week he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So clearly on the list of the pleasures that he pursued was also sex. I mean, 
he's, he's not interested in, in what makes a thousand women happy. He's interested in what makes himself happy. You know, because if you have a thousand women, you can have one woman each night and never see her again for almost three years. So he's, he's in this for his own selfish self-interest, and he thinks that all these sexual conquests and having all these women in my life will bring some measure of pleasure or some measure of happiness or satisfaction. To some degree, it would, but in the long run, of course, it always leaves someone feeling empty. Though the book of Ecclesiastes views the world through human eyes, the authority of God cannot be denied. True, the world is in chaos, but God is still in control. There is hate, but there's also love. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to strive to offer hope to the people around us. Today, we pray you've been encouraged in your faith. We'd love to pray for you as well. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Be sure to join Pastor Gary next time to continue studying verse by verse through this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to listen to Cornerstone Connection on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find a link to our mobile app. Take Pastor Gary's teachings with you on the go and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can even send us prayer requests or join us live for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. Find a link to our app under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our time with you is quickly drawing to a close today. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us next time to dive back into God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know